0: Every one of these messages is serious. Last week, I think, was a message that was more focused on people that are still trying to make up their mind about whether they're going to genuinely follow Jesus. I talked about uh, abandoning and giving everything to the Lord and and understanding what it means to be a disciple, that it's not just adding Jesus to your everyday life, but it's you giving up everything and following Him. It's not getting Jesus to be your concierge to run around and do things for you, but it's about you discovering God's will for your life and following Jesus and being His disciple. Uh, Disciple means follower, but as we're going to see today, it's a little more involved than that. Um, About halfway through Jesus' ministry and looking at the gospel of John, uh, he performed a miracle. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. What do you think the only miracle recorded in all four gospels is? It's the feeding of the 5,000, right? So there were 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and how many children were there. They counted the men. There were a lot of people there. There could have been 15,000, 20,000 people listening to Jesus. He's on a hillside. No megaphone, no electronic equipment. I mean, Jesus just knew how to teach and get the word out there. As we saw last week, they were crowding around him so much that Jesus got into one of the boats of the fishermen that he called to be his first disciples, and he pushed a little away from the shore so that the people wouldn't crowd around him so if I was standing out there in the middle of you all, instead of up on this slightly elevated stage, it would be more difficult to communicate to you because you'd be looking at each other's heads. In fact, I've got a camera angle back here in the back that I switched, and it's lower, kind of like you guys, and I really couldn't go to it very often when we were doing the music because it goes through everybody's heads. That's not a bad angle for just a, a little minute, but what I'm trying to get at is Jesus wanted to get out and away from people, and plus, if you've ever been on the water, you know that sound carries across water really, really well. So, I didn't get into that last week, but I think that uh, Jesus, uh, who is the agent of creation, understands his creation and how to get the word out. Well, now we encounter this group of people, this large group of people, that uh, that are all listening to Jesus teach. Now, But I I want you to hear this. Jesus was teaching these people all day long, and they they had just followed him out. And there was, you know, people didn't bring food with them. Perhaps some people did. In fact, we find that one boy did. One boy brought some bread and some fish, and that's what Jesus used to multiply to feed 5,000 people. Well, people were amazed. I mean, Jesus just breaks the bread, hands it out. And however that miracle looked, I don't know how that miracle looked, but, you know, maybe they had just, you know, a basket or, you know, whatever they had, and they kept reaching in there like, oh, 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 where's this coming from? Oh, there's more. There's still more, and there's still more. They fed 5,000 people, right, from a few loaves and a few fish that one little boy brought. And uh, I don't want to get into that miracle except that it's, uh, you know, it comes from the Creator, and the Creator can create at any time. So... Uh, people were amazed by that, and people had various reactions to that miracle. Right? There were probably uh, zealots there. There were political activists of Jesus' day. They were those that wanted to overthrow the Roman government. We have people today that want to overthrow uh, our government as we see it. Don't kid yourself. There's people that are out there that are protesting, that are doing this for a legitimate reason, and then there are people out there who are trying to overthrow our constitution and our government. Right? And so, these folks were trying to do that. They believed that their cause was just because Israel wasn't allowed to rule themselves. They were being ruled by Rome, all right? And they were zealous. So, they were probably motivated by that, thinking, wow, if Jesus can do this, imagine, you know, how he can gather people around him and gather an army around him. Who knows what they were thinking? But there were people that were just looking at their belly, and they were just like, wow, he fed us. Let's follow him because he feeds us. And we keep following them and we'll keep getting lunch, basically. So every youth minister, and I used to be a youth minister, knows that you can get teenagers to come to an event by serving pizza. That was the go-to back in the 80s and 90s when I was a youth minister. Go to Domino's. Go to some other pizza place. Get a deal. Even back then, it was 5 and $6 a pie. Get them all there. Teenagers will flock to the food. And then what you hope is that they'll hear the word. Well, Jesus fed these folks, um, but he didn't want them just following him so that he would feed them. Not that Jesus doesn't think that feeding people is important, but he was on earth to point people to the Father and to help us all to understand that we have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. And then he rose from the dead to deal with our worst problem, the curse of death, so that those of us that are in Christ now can find ourselves free of sin and free of death with the hope of eternal life. That's the end game of becoming a disciple, right? So Jesus had done this and he had probably people that were political following him, probably had people that just were looking after their bellies, but he also had people that were looking for miracles, right? You see this today in certain denominations. There are people that talk about miracles and signs and wonders, right? Now, that's not a bad thing but it's, Jesus said, uh, a perverse and wicked generation seeks after a sign. The sign is to point to Jesus. When you've got Jesus, you don't need any more signs. Signs point to something else. If you're just looking for tricks, you're just looking for magic tricks, you're looking for entertainment. You're not looking for God. But there were people following Jesus around because he did miracles, and they wanted him to take them back to Moses' time when God fed them manna Right? This unusual substance that God created and, and it basically uh, appeared on the ground every morning along with the dew, and it was a, a white substance, if you if you read the text in the Old Testament, that I always associated, I, 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 this doesn't say this, but I always have associated it with pie crust. <laughs> I think it was healthier than pie crust, but it was a flaky substance that they could make into a lot of different things, and it was like a bread. Well, they wanted Jesus to repeat the Moses miracle, the Mosaic miracle, and Jesus said, "That's that's not what I'm here to do. You're just following me around because you want bread, you want miracles, you want your way. So um, then he started getting difficult with them. He started saying some things that only those who were paying attention to the Holy Spirit and listening with spiritual ears would be able to understand. And I'm about to read that. And at the end of that discussion that Jesus had, I'm about to read one of the saddest verses in the entire Word of God. It's John 666. Now, you may know that number 666 from Revelation, the the sign of the beast. Well, this is definitely something that uh, reminds us of Satan and Satan's desire to come up against God and desire to turn people away from God, okay? So give it a listen here. I'm going to read a longer passage of Scripture Because I like you to get into the word, and I don't know how much you guys read the word. Uh, I have a group that I send scripture out to every single day. Uh, This this week I I skipped a couple of days because they're longer passages of scripture, and I asked people to memorize verses, but they've all been coming out of John. The last one I sent out was John chapter 17. So we're back up to John chapter 6. So after he had fed the 5,000, Um, he went on to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, and the people followed him around to the other side. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Well, the other miracle I didn't tell you about is Jesus walked on water. That happened right on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus and his disciples, uh, his disciples went out on the boat. They waited for Jesus. Jesus prayed and spent time with the Father, and the disciples presumably were out in the middle of the lake, not because they couldn't get across, but probably because they were going to go back and get Jesus. That's my assumption in any event, because they were experienced boaters. They were fishermen. They wouldn't, it, there was a storm initially out there. Uh, apparently, though, there was some contrary waves, but that wouldn't keep them uh, that that long. So I think that they were kind of waiting for Jesus, waiting for some signal to go back and get him. But nonetheless, um, Jesus comes walking to them on the water, another stunning miracle that doesn't make any sense unless Jesus is God, right? People don't just walk on water. People don't just feed 5,000 people. Anyway, he gets in the boat. They go to the other side. These other people walk around the lake. Some of them get in boats and go across the lake. They find him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, because they saw the disciples leave and they didn't see Jesus leave. So they lost track of Jesus, so they figured they'd follow the disciples and they'd find Jesus, and sure enough, they did. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to work the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's a good verse for you. You don't work your way up into heaven. The work that you need is to believe in the Son of God. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, he's trying to allude to something that is beyond physical bread, but watch how hard-headed and hard-hearted they are. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Listen to that verse again. That's verse 40, chapter 6. Right? There are people who think that only a specific number that God chooses are going to be saved, and everybody else is just going to be lost. Now, I want you to understand, if God doesn't offer salvation to us, our choice is irrelevant. If God didn't make the offer, then your choice would not matter. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. But God has offered salvation to everyone. Who has God offered salvation to? Everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. For God so loved a few people, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, a select group of people? No, whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you a whoever? Are you an everyone? Are you part of this world? Then salvation is offered to you. The question is, will you pay attention, right? Look, listen to 640 again. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Wow. Jesus has already given this illustration from the Old Testament about a time when the Israelites, same time they were in the wilderness getting the manna uh, from heaven, um, God got really frustrated with them because they were complaining a lot and they were accusing God of dragging them into the wilderness to torment them and and kill them and their children. And so God just set loose a bunch of serpents in their midst. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the desert, but there's snakes in the desert. I grew up in Phoenix. There's snakes in the desert. There's rattlesnakes in the desert. I can tell you a story about uh, my dad sitting on a barrel while we were watching a, 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 a Formula One race. Uh, there used to be a, a little track out there, and there was a Formula One race, and he sat on this 50-gallon 50 50 ga- 50 drum, and as he did, he kind of pushed it forward, and there was a rattlesnake coiled underneath it. I've never seen my old man jump so high in my life. And he got rocks and sticks and everything else and threw it at this. I mean, he just turned this snake into a bloody pulp, right? He finally killed it, and he went over and cut the rattles off. I still have those rattles. So there are snakes in the desert. These snakes went in, and they bit people, and they cried out to God, who they were complaining to and accusing. And so God said, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make a bronze serpent on a pole. And I want you to put it up. It has to be high enough so anybody in the camp can see it. And if they look to it, then they will be healed from the snake bites. So that's exactly what happened. Jesus likened himself to that serpent that is raised up in the wilderness, that if you look to him to be saved, you will be saved. It's interesting that Jesus on the cross is a clear reminder of that serpent on the staff, right? So Jesus became our sin. On the cross Jesus is God's son Jesus is pure his life is holy but he became our sin on the cross just like that snake represented what was biting and hurting those people right it was the the snake was the curse upon the people for their sin Jesus became the curse of sin that you and I have on us and then died so that that curse would be removed amen So when you look to him, you're saved. Now, he's saying it again here. That was in chapter 3 that he made that statement. In fact, it's right before John 3.16, which we just quoted together a moment ago. He said, the one who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So if you look to Jesus and you believe in him, then you will have eternal life. That's a very, very big deal. At this The Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, I want you to understand when John, in the gospel of John, John was a Jew. When he uses the term Jews, he's not referring to an ethnicity. He's referring to those who were in religious leadership among uh, his people. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. There's another very simple verse. The one who believes has eternal life. Can you remember that verse? The one who believes has eternal life. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? You have eternal life. Open your heart up. Let him fill you up with his spirit, right? Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's referring to himself. Which anyone may eat and not die. Now he's getting into something that sounds kind of weird. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay, so now there's some of them that are going, ah, uh, that just sounds odd. That's strange. Is he going to tear off a piece of his forearm and give it? I don't, that's, mm. well, obviously Jesus is speaking spiritually. Let's continue to listen. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? aware that his disciples now it was the Jews before, right? It was the religious people before that were having a problem with Jesus. Now, it very clearly says it's not just those that are having a problem with this saying. On hearing it, many of his disciples, a few of his disciples, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, it's not just a matter of being honest and saying, wow, that's, that's a difficult thing to understand. Jesus, that's a hard thing to, for you to say. What you're going to see is some of them didn't stop there, right? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, interestingly, in the wilderness, that is under Moses in the wilderness, the people grumbled all the time. In fact, that was one of the reasons why the serpents were sent into their midst. And here we have Jesus' disciples and they're grumbling. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Actually, the the translation literally says, our Spirit and life. In other words, Jesus said, stop listening with carnal ears. Stop being a literalist. These were hard, they were blockheaded disciples, and some of us are just like that. We just look at the words on the page, and we never allow the Holy Spirit to lift the words off the page and bring them into our understanding and into our heart and help us to apply them to our lives. You need to be spiritual people, and that isn't an emotional statement. That's not about kind of walking around and meditating and tripping over yourself. It is about paying attention to the Spirit of God who is seeking to speak to you moment by moment. Initially, you might think of that as God seeking to speak to and through what you would call your conscience. But you see, you have a spirit, and God's spirit will revive, renew, give rebirth to your spirit, and then inhabit you, live within you, and speak to your spirit. God doesn't speak with an audible voice. Now, there are folks that have heard that on occasion, but that's actually very infantile. God speaks by moving upon your spirit, just like his spirit moved over the waters during the creation. And he moves you in one direction or another direction, and it is always in accordance with his word. So he said, the words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit, and they are life. Let me find my place here. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, this is verse 66. This is John 6, 6, 6. If you're listening, say amen. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. How many we don't know, but not a few. Many, you do not want to leave, leave two, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And yet, even after many of his disciples stopped following him, Peter made these confessions of faith. At the end, Peter denied him. Now, Peter repented, and he was restored, but I want you to see that even those that were closest to Jesus for a time turned against him. And then he continues, then uh, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? Well, we know Judas who betrayed him. Now, I've said this before in this room, Judas could have repented he chose not to. Instead, he killed himself. And you kill yourself, you cut off all options. It's not an answer. The devil wants to plant that thought in your head. I just want to go to sleep. I just want to get this over with. I think it's like Amos, the prophet Amos, who said, will it not be for you as one who ran from a lion only to run into a bear? You think you're going to get rid of your problems by ending your life here, and you're going to face insurmountable problems in the next life because you're going to face a holy and living God who will judge you for everything you've done including taking the life that he gave you this is not the answer just be stern with you and honest with you not not misunderstanding the the plight that you're going through not seeking to be uh, harsh on you to, to, to make you feel worse but I want you to understand suicide is absolutely never the answer Because you and I are going to face judgment. We're going to face God in judgment. Your problems here are temporary. Nothing we're going through here lasts forever. In fact, in the end, if the Lord decides to take your life and you stand before him in judgment and you have Christ in your life, then your problems are solved. Amen? So, that was a long passage of Scripture because I wanted you to understand the background here. Now, I'm going to go very quickly through some important thoughts And then we're going to open the table of the Lord, because I want you to understand that when Jesus said, I am the living bread, we continue to participate in that teaching by partaking of the supper of the Lord, the table of the Lord, communion, right? So we're going to get to that, and and, uh, that's what we're going to do at the end of the service. But um, I want you to understand that one of the signs of the end, there's a lot of people talking about whether or not we're, we're in the end times right now. Now I've been hearing this my whole life. You know, I mean, in the 70s, Hal Lindsey wrote the Lake great planet Earth and everybody thought the world was coming to an end. I, you know, I, I wish some of you, I wish actually some of you do, but I wish more of you would uh, come to my Bible study on Wednesday. I know a lot of you can't because you have work and so forth, but you can check it out online. But I, told, I talked to them about the fact that sometimes we think the end is like, you know, me walking along this stage and I get to the end of the stage and then I just, I fall off, Right. But the reality is we've been walking along the shore of the end of time since Jesus rose from the dead. So it's more like walking along the edge of this stage. And here's the end right here. You need to be ready for the end at any moment. Amen? But there are signs that things are going to change here and the end is in fact going to come. Now, there are those who say, oh, it's earthquakes, it's wars, and rumors of wars. You know what Jesus said? He said, nope. He said, those things are going to happen. That's just the beginning of the birth pangs. I'm not going to get into all of those signs. I'm just going to look at one that ties into the Scripture that we just read. Jesus said in Matthew 24.10, this is what's called, uh, theologians, Bible scholars call this the eschatological discourse. Big word, eschatological means End times. Jesus talked about the end times. Everybody thinks Revelation, that's that's end times, but Jesus talked about the end times, and you can find it in Matthew 24, you can find it in uh, Mark, and you can also find it in Luke. This is what he said, Matthew 24 10, at that time, at the end, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Do you see that happening today? So I titled this message today, Deconversion, because this is a statement that is being used uh, largely in uh, uh, social media, I think. I haven't heard it in mainstream media, but I don't really pay attention to the mainstream media much anymore. But deconversion just means you were once a believer and now you have turned away from the faith. You once were a convert to Christianity and now you have deconverted. There's a whole lot of people who were raised in Christian homes, and they turn against their faith. Bart Ehrman, who writes all of these scathing books against the Bible, was once a believer, right? Richard Dawkins was raised in a Christian home, the infamous uh, uh, evolutionist and and atheist who, and I shouldn't even say atheist. These people are not atheists. An atheist is somebody that just doesn't believe in God for whatever reason. These are anti-theists. They hate God. You know, I can have respect for somebody that just hasn't come to the place where, you know, they have chosen to believe yet. But people that hate God, I've said this before. If I was an atheist, I could be friends with Christians. I wouldn't be intimidated by their statements. I could smile at them. I could even kind of laugh. But I wouldn't be out there trying to prove that they are horrible people, you know, out to destroy the world and that God is, is the worst thing you can believe in. No, these people are working for the devil. They just don't understand it. And I use the word devil advisedly. The word means slanderer. Do you know what slander is? Have you ever been slandered? Has anybody ever used your name in a bad way? These people are the devil's tools because they're slanderers of the living God. Listen to some of the things that Dawkins says, right? Well, those are notorious uh, people who have been raised in Christian homes or who once professed Christianity who turned away. But recently, there there were uh, several, and I'm not hearing a a bunch right now because, you know, everything is COVID, 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 that's all we hear, uh, or riots, 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 but Shortly before all this happened, there were a couple of, not really super high-profile Christians, but a a couple of Christian musicians or a writer for one particular uh, Christian organization, um, uh, a musical writer for one organization, and uh, another fellow that used to be uh, a preacher and actually wrote some books, uh, and they just turned against their faith. But it's not just that. They didn't just turn against faith. They're blogging and writing against Christianity now. If I were you, I'd be very, very, very afraid. You need to have the sense to fear the living God. The Scripture says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't believe in God. You shouldn't believe in God either. Guess what? You're going to stand before him, and I'm going to stand before him, and we're going to give an answer. But you don't have the sense to fear him well that's sad i am looking at you saying you don't but i'm talking to you and hoping you'll understand that these are the words that these folks need to hear jesus said at the end this is what's going to happen many will fall away that's apostasy that's what the word apostasy means it means to turn away or to fall away and one of the I sent out a little text earlier to try to encourage people to to watch this on YouTube or show up. and I said, "Are you falling?" Question mark? Maybe you feel like in the midst of all this drama and difficulty we're dealing with, you feel like you're falling, or maybe you you feel like you've fallen into temptation at various times. Don't fall away. Amen. Are you falling? Don't fall away. Listen to the scripture. I love this. This was a song that I, I learned back in the early days when I was uh, first a believer. Um, but I'm not going to sing it because then you'll all leave and you'll fall away. Uh, Not from Jesus, just from this church. Psalm 37, 23, and 24, uh, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Amen? So I told you that story about Jesus walking on the water, I just alluded to it, I didn't really get into it in depth, right? Boat's out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They've been fighting the oars half the night. Jesus has been on the other shore. He's been praying. And then he just comes walking on the water. I want you to understand, this wasn't still placid water like the waters of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus got into Peter's boat and had him push off a little way so Jesus could preach to the people. This was when a storm blew up on the water. So the waves are rocking, and Jesus is walking. The waves are rocking, and Jesus is no problem. That's kind of cool. Well, Peter was sort of this brash fella, right? I have there's there's part of me that's very much like Peter. And so he said, "Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water." Now, if Jesus were, you know, people today, he would say, "Oh, no, too dangerous for you, Peter. I don't want you to walk out on the water. I'm not sure about your faith." No, Jesus said, come on. Jesus stepped out of the boat, started walking on the water, and then he started looking around, and the waves are rocking, and the wind is blowing, and he got his eyes off Jesus, and boom, as soon as he did, he started to sink. Glug, glug, glug. What does he say? Lord, save. He starts to sink. Lord, save. Immediately, it says, Jesus put out his hand and picked him up. And they were in the boat. Amen? That's you. That's you. Are you falling? Stick up a hand. Don't turn against the Lord and drown. Stick up a hand. Call out, Lord, save. You know, when Jesus was going into Jerusalem, they were all calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what that means? Lord, save. Save now. Lord, save us now you need to cry out you don't have to have some intricate scriptural religious prayer all you got to do is be honest with God just cry out there was a, a Pharisee one time praying in the synagogue and he just prayed this big prayer largely just talked about himself and the scripture said that there was a tax collector in the back of the room tax collectors are annoying did you know that you ever been called by the IRS I got called by the IRS, nicest guy in the world, right? And it has to do with EINs and reporting and all this other stuff. We always pay our taxes. And it's frustrating to me that the IRS doesn't get it right. But this tax collector is calling me, and I'm like, you know what, dude? You sound really nice, but I don't want to hear from you. I don't like you. The guy called me in the middle of the shutdown during COVID. I'm like, what are you calling me for? I'm trying to be nice, but I'm not feeling very nice. I'm trying to give you an idea of what people felt about these tax collectors because back then, tax collectors were allowed to add revenue. They were allowed to collect as much as they could collect. They kind of added on a tip for themselves. Hey, the Roman government says you owe this, but you're going to give me this because I need a tip. Well, this guy's the super nicest guy in the world, except he's annoying because he's a tax collector. But the scripture says this tax collector came to the back of the synagogue, this guy that's hated by everybody, and he wouldn't even look up. Now, the standard way the Jewish people would pray is like this. He wouldn't even look up. He just looked down, and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he said. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Lord, be merciful. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Oh, I deserve more than this. You deserve death and hell, and so do I. Well, I deserve a better car and a better house. You're a sinner in need of grace. Amen? You and I deserve nothing but death and hell. Jesus died on the cross so we wouldn't get what we deserve. That's mercy. This guy cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said in that parable, he said, only one of those men went out right with God that day. Well, who do you think it was? It was the despised tax collector who wouldn't even look up who cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's you and I. Wherever you are, however far you've gotten away from the Lord, you need to have the humility to cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Know that the Lord will uphold your hand. Now, listen to what the Apostle Paul said affirming Jesus' teaching, speaking this same teaching that many will fall away in the end when he, uh, the Apostle Paul, that is, spoke in Second Thessalonians, which is another book that speaks a lot about the end. So you just think of Revelation as speaking about the end. I just told you you can read in Matthew 24. Where can you read? And you can read in Second Thessalonians. What book? Right? And there's a little bit about Jesus returning in 1 Thessalonians 2. But listen to this verse, Second 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come what is it the day of the lord the end of time right judgment day for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first what did i say apostasy was a minute ago falling away turning away the apostle paul said no you look at all these signs out here what's going to happen first is a huge falling away now i remember hearing folks back in the day talk about oh there's going to be a worldwide revival before jesus returns my reading of the text says God is going to, he's going to go through and he's going to thresh his people. He's going to sift his people. The only ones that are going to be left are the real believers. Everybody else is going to fall away and then Jesus is going to come back and take them and everybody else is going to be dealt with. The apostasy must come first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction or the son of, son of perdition. This is the so-called beast. I'm not going to get into that right now. And then, you just heard John six sixty six Very quickly. Jesus has got plenty of enemies today. Amen? It's not just people that are like, eh, I don't know, I don't believe all that. No, there's people that are just actively, avidly against Christians and Christianity. But we're not going to focus on them. What I want us to, to look at are the people who turn away from the Lord who turn into his enemies, more more importantly, I want to find out, or at least I want to say briefly why I think that happens. Suffice it to say, I don't think they ever really believed to begin with. Here's what I mean. Jesus has fans. Now, he had more fans back in the 70s than he's got now, but he's still got fans. Oh, Jesus! We love Jesus! Woo! Jesus is awesome. We sing loud songs, and we go to conferences, and, you know, we do all these things, and Jesus has fans. Jesus makes me feel good. He has fans. But fans turn away really quickly when things don't go their way. Fans remind me, I was listening to Pastor Craig back in the back back there, and they were talking... Uh, They were at the section in Matthew where he's uh, talking about the, the, the parable of the soil. Sometimes it's called the parable of the sower, but it's really about different soils. The sower sows the seed. The seed is the word. The sower is the Lord. And some of the seed falls on the path, and the birds come and take it away. That's any kind of distraction, right? You're already not paying attention if that's the case. Then it says, Some of the seed falls on rocky ground and it immediately springs up. But then it withers away when the sun comes out because it has no root. And Jesus said, That's people, but they don't have any root in themselves. So when persecution or affliction arises, then they wither away. They turn away. There's no root. And then he said, Some of the seed falls among the thorns, it falls among the weeds. And the weeds grow up together, and they choke out that wheat, presumably, that we're dealing with there. And Jesus said, that's people who are looking for um, wealth, they're, they're seeking wealth, or uh, they're, they're, they're afflicted by worries, right? Those who seek wealth, or they're worried and other things like that. And he said, in the worries of this world and their, their desires for wealth and other things, he said, those, those grow up and then choke them out. All right? I want you to notice something. There was seed that never went in the ground. Those people obviously aren't saved, right? The seed never even got in. But there are two times, two types of soil where the seed actually got in and a plant started to grow. But you know what? No fruit was ever produced. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Jesus cursed a fig tree one time because it was in leaf the way it would have been during a time when it was bearing fruit, but it had no fruit. There's a whole lot of Christians, so-called, who have grown up in church, or they've gone to church with somebody else, or have a variety of motives and reasons, and they never bear fruit. When persecution arises, when affliction happens, when they get allured by the world's temptations, when they get filled with worries and fears, they turn away from the Lord and they fall away from the Lord. So what I'm going to tell you is they never had real faith to begin with. Here's how I, I was thinking about it earlier, and I could have just done this as the sermon. Jesus has fans, right? That could be like the people that, uh, you know, the, the the seed that falls among the uh, the rocks, right? Jesus has people that follow along. They're followers, but they follow along. And by that, I mean they follow other people. See, you might be here today because somebody invited you, and that's awesome. But if the only reason that you continue to come to church and and seek the Lord and, 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 you know, look into the Word of God and so forth is because of somebody else, then eventually they're going to disappoint you, and you don't have your own faith anyway. There are some of you that were blessed enough to have Christian parents. They taught you the right things. They sought to take you to church. I'm sure they weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you were blessed to have Christian parents, but God has no grandkids. You have to establish your own faith. It's got to become yours. I told you I was a youth minister for a long time. That's what I sought to do with young people. Whether they were like me, where they didn't grow up in church, or whether they were young people that grew up in the church, I tried to help them understand you have to establish your own faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just follow along, right? Then there are those who follow Jesus around. These were the ones that were looking for Jesus to do a trick, to do a miracle. So there are people that, um, you know, their uh, curiosity is aroused concerning religious things. And they may, they may stray into a church or, 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 or get involved in some sort of Christian movement or even another religious movement for a period of time, but they're looking for Jesus to do a miracle, and if he doesn't do a miracle, basically this is what they're saying. What have you done for me lately, God? They don't remember what God has done. They might not have experienced much of what God has done or paid attention to it, but they're the people that are saying, what have you done for me lately, God? These are the ones that are seeking God for what he can give them. And I will tell you this, many times God will simply stop offering anything because he wants your faith to be in him. He doesn't want your faith to be in what he can give you, right? So there are fans, people that follow along. That's people that follow other people. People that follow Jesus around, These are the ones, by the way, that say, I'll believe it when I see it. You ever heard that saying, I'll believe it when I see it? That's not faith. When you see it, you see it. No faith required. Seeing is not believing, but believing, real faith, is seeing. Then there are those who follow as disciples. They are students, they are apprentices. And that was what we found with these disciples that turned away from Jesus. They were real disciples, but they never produced any fruit. You can go to church. You can take notes. You can sing the songs. You can read the Bible. But does your heart belong to Jesus? Have you abandoned it all for the sake of the call and chosen to follow him? Will you follow him anywhere he leads you? Will you do whatever He tells you to do? Will you allow His life to become your life? That's what we're saying. That's what we're doing when we're partaking of the table of the Lord. We're partaking of that bread, and we're saying, this is the body of the Lord. That's Jesus' flesh. Your flesh and my flesh is impure. It's imperfect, it's corrupt. Jesus' flesh was pure. it was perfect. Jesus' flesh is the, the, the human nature that you and I should have, but don't because we're in a fallen world. Jesus was unfallen. He was perfect. So when I take that bread, I am saying I seek to take this body of the Son of God into me. And I recognize that that's going to involve me suffering as the Son of God, the Son of Man, suffered on the cross. I'm going to have to take up my cross and follow Jesus. That's what's happening when I'm uh, partaking of that bread. And the scripture says in the Old Testament, the life is in the blood. Say what I just said. That's why in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, God established a covenant with Noah. And he said, If a man sheds blood, then by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because life for life, the life is in the blood. This is why the Jewish people to this day, the Orthodox Jewish people in any event, will not eat any meat that is rare or medium rare that has blood in it. In fact, the animal has to be properly slaughtered and bled out or they won't eat it because the life is in the blood. Are you getting this? We need Jesus' life in us, and we drink the cup of the Lord to remember that he poured out his blood for us on Calvary, but also so that we will recognize we need to take the life of the Son of God into us. Do you understand communion better now? That's why Jesus said, I need you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wasn't trying to turn this into some sort of a horror movie. He's trying to help people to see something from a spiritual perspective that they wouldn't see otherwise. Finally, last thing here, friends, that's the people that were once followers, they become the friends of God. We love, as Jesus' friends, through persistent obedience. Last scripture, John 15, 14 through 16. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Finish the sentence. You're my friends if... Not if you feel wonderful about me, not if you sing songs about me. Do sing. Do feel great about him. But no, he said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. My choice trumps your choice, is what Jesus says, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Did you hear that? I appointed you that you would go and what? That means these are authentic disciples because they're not just the plant that grows up and dies out. They're the plant that grows up and bears fruit. They're not the tree that has a bunch of leaves and says, see me, see me, look at how beautiful I am. It's the tree that bears fruit to feed the world. Jesus said, I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, all things I heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give you. Amen.